What's happening? This is Corin Nemec, and you're listening to the FSF Popcast. The show that tried to go through the Stargate, but somehow didn't it hit the iris. Yeah, we got lucky. Our show is brought to you by our charity sponsor, the Venture Widows and Orphans Fund, which supports the Wish Upon a Teen Foundation that helps out sick kids when they need it most. And just imagine the comfort you'll give Retro Crewman number 140. He'll know that when he puts on the red shirt and joins SG-1 in their search for the lost city, that he didn't leave his family destitute and without hope, because the Red Shirt Widows and Orphans Fund has his back and what's left of his dog tags. All right, guys, our guest today is an actor that you know from his time on Parker Lewis Can't Lose, Stargate, SG-1, Star Trek Renegades, Supernatural, and trust me, you will lose your breath trying to say all of them. He has a action-packed, jam-full uh, IMDb resume, and we're so very happy and proud to welcome Corin Nemec to the FSF Popcast today. Welcome to the show, Corin. Thank you very much. It's great to be here. Yeah, we're glad to have you. We've been wanting to get you on the show for a little bit, so we're we're excited that you said yes. And we, all of a sudden, we started talking about all the things we could talk about. What can we talk about with Corin? Well, we can talk about this. We can talk about that. So all these things started coming together. Uh, but what has become our standard on the show is because, admittedly, we're nerds. And we we fly our nerd flag pretty pretty proudly. We love a good origin story, so we like to talk to the people that are our guests because you're the hero of this story. So we want to know the origin story of our heroes. Oh, okay. So, in the story of Corin Nemec, what were the influences in your young life that encouraged you to reach out to a, a career in the entertainment industry? Um, I would say that. Uh having both my parents be artists is it was certainly one of them uh, although I was raised primarily with my mother she was a graphic designer in the music business well early on she was a graphic designer for like Home Depot and 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 some other uh, stuff like that but then segued into the music business and was a graphic designer for Standing Room Only a huge promotional company in Atlanta Georgia during the late 70s early 80s um and she did all the poster design for the uh, the bands that were that, that that they were promoting. So all the all the band posters, basically, okay. uh, very cool gig. And then and then went on to work for the Nederlanders at the Fox Theater in, in Atlanta, and transferred out to the Pantages Theater in uh, Los Angeles and Hollywood in the graphic design department. There went on to work with Capitol Records as well after that. But uh, but um, long story short, that's how I ended up in Los Angeles. But that 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 being said, being around um, all of the rock concerts and the plays and the musicals and being able to go backstage and meet the players and you know that 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 element of it, it the, having a behind the scenes kind of view of 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 what's going on that people really who are just watching or viewing never get to see and are, and, and it's not meant to see it's not meant to see any of the chaos behind the scenes or what's going on in the in the in the makeup room or any of the other stuff you know you're just sure. supposed to see the finished product so uh the excitement of what's what's always going on behind the scenes in order to keep everything uh on stage in perfect timing uh, that that was always interesting to me as well. And then my father is a production designer in the film business. He was an art uh, assistant art director on Goonies. He was he was a set designer on the series V way back in the day. Oh, one cool. of his first one of his first jobs. He was actually a trained architect. He studied at the University of Arkansas and and was in an architectural firm 
uh, designing buildings and stuff before he got into the into the film business. He was kind of roped into the film business because he was able to do uh, professional drafting. You know, he, he a lot of production designers, uh, people in the industry, uh, not a lot, but some of them uh, don't don't have a classically trained. They don't come from a classically trained background. Uh, uh, but um, that said, he he really rose to the top very quickly. Ended up being the production designer on Patriot Games, Terminator Two. Uh, Twister, The Saint, Shadow, The Abyss, um, wow. Ironclad later on. Um, I mean, just I, I can't even, you know, his his IMDb is 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 as long as mine. So is my sister. My sister is is a first AD in the film business now and works all the time. She's fantastic at her job. But uh, but growing up in the business like that, like I said, when I would go fly from Atlanta to, to Los Angeles to visit my father and 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 check out whatever set he's working on or all of that. It, again, it was being able to see what go, goes on behind the set. I remember being on the, the sets of, of uh, V and walking around and seeing how from the outside, you see this really rough, huge structure with just boards pegged everywhere. And it's just all, it's kind of a mess. I mean, there's, it's, it's artistically done and it's sound in its construction, but it's not meant to be pretty, you know, right. uh, but uh you know, and then then suddenly they have these, you know, false doors that open up and you walk out from that world of, of, of you know, the fake and 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 roughly built uh, inside of a soundstage. And suddenly when those doors close, you're in a perfectly designed uh, uh, spaceship set mm -hmm. as real as it as it, as it potentially could be, you know, uh, depending on what it's like to be on a real spaceship. I don't know. But uh, I don't forget. <laughs> uh, so um, that said, uh, the, the, it, it always inspired me the fact that that here the whether you were a kid or not, it was really the movie uh, Goonies that my dad that my dad was assistant art director on. That that was the the movie that kind of was the impetus to me wanting to become an actor and wanting to uh, get to go on that kind of journey that those the characters and that went on, knowing full well that it was all contrived and 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 designed and and rehearsed and you know the wardrobe was there all of that but that's what made it even more exciting to me because a uh, part of the of, of growing up uh where i did uh the, the, as a kid me and my friends were into dungeons and dragons and we had mm -hmm. there was a huge swath of woods that was out and back of some of the areas i lived in and we'd be out back you know having sword fights with sticks and then that stick would suddenly turn into a machine gun for some Vietnam <laughs> sure. decided to get into. And then, you know, whatever it was like any, anything around us was, 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 was our props and our environment. And, and I realized that uh, if I became an actor, especially at a young age, that I'd have the opportunity to get full wardrobe, to get real as real props as you could get, sure, to have sure. real environments to 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 go on this journey, uh, this fictional journey um, uh, in or on. And uh, and at the, then at the end of the day, what really blew my mind when I was about eleven years old, when, when I was watching uh, uh, Goonies, and when I really thought about it, uh, was that. That someone was going to film that whole fictional reality of mine. So let's say I was out in the woods playing Dungeons and Dragons or whatever, you know, with my buddies. And then suddenly, and, 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 but we had full wardrobe and then somebody, somebody was full special effects 
And then somebody was going to film that. And then I, I could go, I could go home at the end of the day and me and my buddies could sit back on the couch and watch it like that, that, that was like mind blowing to me. So the idea that I could, uh, that I could live these realities outside of my, my, the, 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 the real one that I lived in and exist as these characters that weren't myself uh, and somebody else would film and record those, edit them together. And I could go sit in a theater or watch it on television and see myself living a life that wasn't my own. It was just far out. That's a really cool thought. I honestly, you know, when I, and I think it's probably the most unique answer that we've gotten to that question, to be honest with you, because I don't think that anybody else has mentioned the fact that, you know, that they, or if they have, I don't recall it, that they've had that type of immersive or immersion rather into the, the, the arts and entertainment industry coming up and that they got to see this and that how, that's how it affected their mindset and what they were thinking of and how they were, how they were going about it. So for me, that's kind of a cool thought because, you know, because instantly, as soon as you said that I was out in the woods playing with my buddies and, you know, you know, stick. Yeah. You were... you harken back to your days. of. Uh, oh your... yeah. 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 yeah Cause we grew up in the country and, you know, we were yeah. always out in the woods playing something, you know, Some... uh, yeah building a um, fort, doing something whatever you know i mean we were building forts. some entrails from some poor animal that was mauled by a coyote <laughs> yeah, that, that has happened uh <laughs> yeah, we had crab apple fights we were we were oh, yeah, flinging yeah. we were flinging I deer poop at each other they hurt oh yeah yeah uh you know all these different things you know and all of a sudden i'm thinking about that going how cool would that have been to be able to go back and see those moments recorded edited and, and with you know all these special effects and everything yeah man yeah no that's a, that is a really really cool thought yeah fireball 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 yeah exactly. so so for me you know because uh and and at that age i think really i think i think what was so inspiring about it was because i was i was so young i was young enough at 11 years old that I didn't have any preconceived ideas. Also, both my parents being in the arts and entertainment business, neither one of them were pushing myself or my sister to get into that. They're my, especially my, our mom, our mom's vision for us was whatever makes you guys happy. That is, that makes you successful in life that you love to do that you're good at, that you enjoy, you know, it didn't matter if, yeah. if we wanted to become a veterinarian or a bricklayer or, whatever the case may be, she would have supported it to the, you know, all the way to the end. Uh, but, uh, and so when I did, when I did mention that I wanted to get into acting, I had a lot of support from the family as well. They didn't go oh, acting. What are you going to do with that later on in life? You know, uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I, oddly enough, uh, speaking of that, when in my uh, theater class that I was in for many years with my teacher, Manu Tupo, uh, American Repertory Company. I, I said it there, gosh, from my early 20s to my late 30s uh, before he passed away. But but he actually had a number of lawyers that were that were studying for trial to become trial lawyers. They would come through and, and study acting there in order to, you know, to, to get their chops to be able to be in front of a, a, a judge and a, and a jury and stuff. I, I found that pretty interesting. Well, that's cool. Yeah. Remember we all know it's all, it's, it's all a charade. <laughs> for sure well, that's cool man so you have your fingers in a couple different roles that have taken behind set as well as on set uh so you've been a writer you've also been a producer and you've also been an actor um there might be some other things but i didn't notice any other on imdb and that may not be accurate 
so <laughs> which... a little directing a little directing but uh, but uh, but mostly mostly acting uh and then and then uh, producing and then writing you know i'd say you know in terms of how much i've done it but i'm i'm, I'm trying to get more into the writing producing uh that's the uh well i am getting more into the writing producing i should say uh uh, because it 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 has uh, you know there has been more projects of late that, that mm-hmm. are going along those lines and also just the acting ones I got some great projects coming out as well yeah uh, coming up soon and that kind of answered my question is which one do you prefer more like do you prefer the writing or the acting or well well for different reasons I have to say I mean writing is my favorite to be honest if I could just uh, you know make the make the kind of money that i'd like to make and 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 do nothing except write and and obviously i'd I'd love to to work as a a creative producer on those and make sure that you know that 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 they don't get too watered down by the time they make it to screen so that's why i like the writing producing side because there is an element of of some creative control you can still maintain over your product whereas uh if it's just i mean i've written uh, a number of scripts that i never even end up getting credit for when they came out including fire mm-hmm. twister that movie fire twister i wrote the the, the, the first the, the original uh, script for and uh, and several lifetime movies uh, as well that they just never gave me my my credit for it's very strange don't understand why but whatever uh but but that said you know uh, that you know maintaining that creative control i think is, is 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 also important but um but the thing i like about the writing is that it's um there's this I don't want to. I don't. I don't want to get into some kind of theological uh, 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 <laughs> analogy for this. But in in a sense, you become this sort of like quasi god over your universe that you're creating, and it's only right. it's 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 a one dimensional universe with four dimensional properties. When you read it, it comes to life in the mind and takes on all of the the dimensions that that it loses on the page. Uh, but but within the context of that, I can create the entire beginning, middle, and end of a of a character's journey, and put them through whatever types of ups and downs uh, that that I want to see them go through, uh, which to me is just a it's a wild experience, and I love storytelling. I love um, uh, problem solving with with screenplays. I love uh, trying to figure out. Uh, for instance, I, when I write my screenplays, I don't like to introduce anything that doesn't have some type of re- resolution to it, even if it's a prop. You know, I, I don't I, I, I like to keep I like to be able to, to, to have everything um, by the by the time somebody either finishes reading one of my scripts, there is not one element of that script that they should have any confusions over including you know like i said props that are introduced i'm going to introduce something to a scene why not make there's an uh, there's an opportunity for some significance there you know Uh, and 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 also to make sense out of it in the end so it's like let's say i introduce a you know a lady who who likes to fry eggs and she's cooking and it's a the movie's a thriller and it used to be her grandmother's frying pan and stuff and that frying this thing goes throughout the whole movie and it ends up being the the, the exact frying pan that saves her from being murdered by the bad guy you know what i mean it'd be yeah. something like that where you know you're like oh thank god for grandma's frying pan <laughs> you know or whatever so um uh, I, I I do enjoy the writing uh, side of it the, most, but uh, 
uh, I've been acting for so long. It's, it's really kind of more of a second nature. I feel very at home and comfortable, uh, probably more comfortable in life when I'm on set than when I'm off set. Mm -hmm. So when you're, so having the acting background and then kind of transitioning into the writing, do you kind of, as you're writing, kind of see it through an actor's eyes and just kind of be like, okay, this is how I can write it so that any actor would be able to pick it up. Like you were saying, it's really, you try to write it so that it's real easy to understand. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, for me, obviously I, the very first screenplay I ever wrote was called future boys misadventures through consciousness when I was 18 years old. Mm -hmm. And it was just such like a barf of a story onto a page it, it, you know, it, it had some semblance of uh, of a uh, of a beginning, middle, and end to it that, that you could you could make sense of. But my, my you know, even though I'd been uh, um, an actor from age twelve years old all the way up to eighteen, I had never written a script, and it's very easy to get caught up in sort of that novel style of writing when it comes to screenplays and overwriting everything and uh and so I I, I went and took a like a UCLA extension course on you know how to write a screenplay and then went and did like a a writer's boot camp in Hollywood with with professional seasoned writers where, you know, by the end of the boot camp, you've written, a, you know, a, a short uh, a short film mm -hmm. um, and these kind of things. So and that's uh, and then right around that same time, I started studying with Manu Tupo at the American Repertory Company in my early 20s. And uh, and he really, really promoted the. Uh, writing writing scripts directing you know your own scenes and plays getting together with other students coming up with something let me direct this scene with you guys in and this that and really trying to to get the the actors in in his uh, theater company to think outside the box and not end up being one trick ponies because you know his point was is you know you came here to hollywood to be a star but you never know when you might end up a very successful producer or mm -hmm. a really really successful writer or, or a fantastic director, or you don't, you know, if you pigeonhole yourself to one dream, to one final outcome, you may achieve that, but your, 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 um, your, uh, the outcome of that in, in proportion to spreading yourself across the board with, with, with many other areas of interest and, and, and talent, you, you have a better shot at success in the mm. long run or at least being able to maintain a career in your industry of choice and not having, having to completely abandon that industry and go into something totally different car sales. Right. You know what I mean? You're like, I want to be an artist. <laughs> I want to be in the arts and entertainment industry. I've studied acting for 25 years and I can't get a job. Well, yeah, because all you did was study acting for 25 years. Sure. You know, you, you, you know, why, why, why didn't you branch out, start writing, start writing your own plays, start directing your own plays. Start finding, you know, start writing, producing and directing your own plays if you're in the theater world, even if it's on a small scale, you know, scale up from there, you know, produce a short film, this, that, you know, I know most people say, what, what's the point of producing short films? The point of producing them is to prove that you can do it, A, and, and to see and, and to test your talents on a smaller scale to see if you can pull off what you believe you can on a larger scale. And if you can't pull it off exactly the way you expect on a smaller scale, 
uh, on a kind of do-it-yourself budget, then, then, then at least you you didn't blow huge amounts of money, waste huge amounts of time, you know, uh, and and have a bunch of people to pay back that you're you're never going to be able to, you For know. Sure. So, um, and and nowadays with all of the platforming and everything else, um, I, I think short films uh, have have a little bit more of a shelf life uh, and can find better homes. And I think that that if you, if you go into shooting a short film with the idea of having a full length feature in mind and or a backdoor pilot for a TV series or something like that, if you're going to do a short film, don't just do it just because it's a short film, you know, and just because you're inspired to do a short film, well, think, well, what can I what would I be able to do with this outside of it just being a short film and then decide right. is the idea that inspired or could you come up with something better or could you develop that idea out even further into something that could you know, uh, that, that you could actually use this as a vehicle to uh, uh, raise raise more capital to to produce independently or to sell to a production company or studio that would like to make it. You know, you know, and to your point, a few weeks back, we interviewed uh, a gentleman by the name of Brett Smith, who's a an indie filmmaker, and he's done just that. He he made these short films as a proving ground of sorts, and he took the the these short films and turned them into you know feature films. Yeah. Uh, and that's what he's been doing. So here's his proving ground. This is this is the, you know, the thesis, you know, that he's that he's working with. And that, you know, gave investors and everybody, you know, something to see and, and what he was working towards. And now he's able to take that that short film and make it a future a feature film. And he's going to doing that with a couple of other of his short films as well. Yeah, very so smart. It's, yeah, it's a very cool idea. And I think that that's that's a very, a very smart way to go about it for all the reasons that you just mentioned. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So very cool. All right, Corin. Now you've been acting for a while before you landed the role, and you, you know we have to talk a little bit about Parker Lewis can't lose because sure. it's, it's it's Parker Lewis can't lose. Now that came out in 1990. I was a freshman in high school, and you perfect know, timing for you. It, it was perfect for me, <laughs> exactly. And uh, but yeah, but you've been acting for a while before you got that show. Now this this show was only around for about 70 some odd episodes. I think it was about 78. Okay. Yep. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, An episode short of 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 wide wide, uh, you know, um, distribution, uh, right? Not distribution, but uh, for for the uh, reruns. Oh mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It was it was ten episodes short of what the standard is for purchasing, you know, uh, you know, series for reruns. And ah, so gotcha. the, only, the only network that picked it up in the U.S. after it did it ran its course on Fox was USA Network. And they ran it back to back, uh, you know, the whole three seasons just burned through them. And then it's been shelved in the U.S. ever since until it came out on Crackle, which only showed the first two seasons wisely because the third season is kind of a dud uh, when they changed the format of the show. Right. But, uh, but I got that. Uh, I, I got the the part because of a, a TV special I did. Um, a couple of years before called What's Allen Watching for CBS mm-hmm. that, uh, that uh, Bob Tischler uh, wrote and that um, um, uh, Barbara Berry was in it. Fran Drescher played my older sister. Peter Michael Getz was in it. Obviously, Eddie Murphy was was in it. And mm-hmm. uh, um, uh, Tommy Schlamme directed it. And I, I, I got the lead role in that. I had to fight very hard to get that lead role too. I mean, I must have gone to at least I, I, t- I know I tested 
two or three times for it. They kept, you know, they, they, they it's, it's, I don't know who, who was it that was fighting for me behind the scenes, but somebody was, but, uh, they kept bringing in other people. I even tested against Sean Aston, which I thought for sure when they brought him in, I was going to lose the part. Uh, and I, and, uh, I ended up getting it and I love Sean. He's a great guy. We, we used to compete for roles quite a bit when we were young. Um, and, uh, but that said, I, I got that part, and it was a very quirky, awkward, strange uh, comedy about mm -hmm. a kid who was miserable with his home life and talked to the and kind of would talk to the camera, break the fourth wall, tell this the, the audience what's going on in his life, and and uh, um, and then uh, he could also on the TV when he would watch that, there would be like little segments on the television that were like uh, kind of vignettes that you would see on Saturday Night Live, except shot right. you know. You know, like they had um, Gandhi on ice. It was like, a you know, where, where you know, <laughs> Gandhi's traveling across the world doing an ice capade show to raise awareness, you know, for peace and all of this stuff. And and the James Brown, uh, the James Brown uh, TV musical where, you know, it's James Brown in prison and all this stuff. And, and Eddie Murphy plays James Brown in that. But like, needless to say, it was very funny. It, it was it was. Uh, it was supposed to be a TV series. It, it, it didn't work out because of um, some some problems between CBS and Eddie Murphy Productions. But uh, at the time, Clyde Phillips was over at uh, at CBS and he was he was show running Houston Nights, which was a short lived uh, series that he created for them. That was, uh, uh, you know, a police drama. And um, they had they had assigned him to develop a, a TV series for for teenagers and he uh, he developed uh, he had just uh, he he so he he developed um, Parker Lewis can't lose for CBS mm -hmm. and after um, and after he saw uh, and it was around the same time that they passed on what's Alan watching and so when he when he so he he was like wow we could really do something you know unique with this they CBS passed on it the the rights were turned back to him and this is all also around the same time that three o'clock high came out the movie with Casey Shimosko great film uh, cinematically just a real real uh, um, um, I would say revolutionary in its in its use of the camera as a character in the in the in the movie to tell 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 the tale in a way where it's it's really um, uh, in your face and not, you know, a lot of times people are trying to tell the camera, the, the story with the camera. So you don't really feel like the camera's there, but you're seeing a beautiful frame. Sure. This was like, you wanted to, he, he was he, forcing the camera down your throat in three o'clock high. It was amazing. And that's where they got the camera style for Parker Lewis. But flash forward those years later, you know, uh, Clyde Phillips had partnered up with Lon Diamond and, uh, and, and, uh, um, uh, they, they, uh, came together for Parker Lewis uh, once they once they got the rights back. And when Fox opened up their their platform, you know, at that time to a full a full slate of shows, they were able to pitch that show over there. And Fox picked it up uh, right away because that was after. Uh, see, you have to realize Parker Lewis was was developed before Ferris Bueller came out. CBS mm -hmm. passed on gotcha. it. rights, reverted back to Clyde Phillips uh, and Lon Diamond, and then went, uh, and, and then then suddenly that movie comes out. It's a huge hit, and they take that series over to Fox, and they're like, no brainer. And you know, we had to compete against the Ferris Bueller TV series that came out the same year we did. 
uh, and, and beat them. They, they did their 13 episodes and were canceled and we were picked up for the remainder of the season. So yeah, that was a big deal for us, but, but it was, so it wasn't, it was, it was never based on Ferris Bueller. It gets a lot of, uh, uh, not a lot of flack, but people seem to think that it was, it was a, a spinoff or a spoof or, or taken from, but it was actually created, uh, you know, at least a year and a half, two years before Ferris Bueller came gotcha. out. Okay. One of the things I noticed about the show, though, is that it's, you know, for even its brevity, it's it's definitely left its mark on pop culture. And people are always referencing Parker Lewis. And matter of fact, my oldest son's name is Parker. And everybody asked, would always ask me, oh, did you name him after Parker Lewis? Oh, no. No. Like, no, actually, no, I hadn't thought about that. I just thought the name Parker was really cool. Yeah. Uh, but I, I would get well, asked you know that what? You were subliminally it was probably yeah honestly I well, I can tell you that kid cannot lose that's that's, that's for sure that's right um but when you meet people at like comic cons or, or out in the public uh and and I'm sure that many people refer to you or talk to you about Parker Lewis uh and and that show and, and all that does it endear you to that IP more knowing that it resonated with people so much well, um, yes, of course. You, it's one of those shows. I mean, here in the U.S., like I said, it hasn't had the kind of runtime that that I think it deserved uh, over the years. But in other countries, it, it certainly did. And, you know, in mm-hmm. France, it, it was a, a huge runaway success over there and in other in other countries in Europe, too. But uh, uh, France was it was really just a phenomenon. It, they literally did not take it off the air for more than a year or two all the way up until like 2017 or so 20 oh wow around i mean it would just run in cycles it would go off the air for a year and a half or so then somebody else would throw it on because it was just it it just so multiple generations of of uh of french grew up with that with parker lewis playing in their in their living rooms and going over there is definitely a trip uh there's there's far more recognition uh for that particular project over there than there is in the u.s that's for sure hmm. nice. that's cool so yeah I, I was just i was just gonna follow up just say that yeah it's uh i mean i always enjoyed it i watched a couple episodes on uh there's full some full episodes on youtube right now uh, i was well, looking up some others why they're not pulled yet yeah <laughs> me too uh that's why i was watching on youtube i was surprised that they weren't that they hadn't been pulled yet and i was like oh okay well i'll watch them while they're here uh <laughs> But uh, I watched the pilot episode again this afternoon, and 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 I laughed uh, the entire time, especially uh, with the uh, the timing of the videotape, and you know, uh, you you guys synchronizing your watches and putting in the videotape to to show in the principal's office at the right time with oh, the, yeah. just <laughs> just happening to have the right uh, <laughs> the same shirt on. Everything I don't know, it just really amused me, and all yeah. these little things that all these little things that always seem to happen in Parker's life where he's able to mo- maneuver things to, so that, you know, it's like he can't lose, but yeah, it always just really, um, really amused me. And so, you know, I always want, I always, I always did enjoy that. So yeah, probably subliminally, uh, there's a reason why my son's name is Parker, but yeah, <laughs> I just thought the name was cool. So Corin, we love ourselves a good story and you like to tell good stories. Uh, hey, and hey. Tim, is quickly becoming a Stargate fan. Okay. Um, Tis, Tis so true. were you a fan of Stargate before you were on the show? And do you have any fun stories or scenes of things that happened on set that were enjoyable and kind of funny? Um I was I was a fan of the the feature film Stargate. Okay. Uh, 
a really big fan. One of probably one of the only uh, fifteen people <laughs> in America. Uh, well, I, oddly enough, it flopped in, in the U.S., which is strange because I thought it was just brilliant when I went and saw it. But mm-hmm. I was into that kind of uh, uh, revisionist uh, history type stuff and alien conspiracy theories and everything. I was already into that kind of stuff at that that young young age like that. So it was right up my alley. Um, mm. And uh, and then when it came on as a series, uh, some some number of years later, it was on Showtime, I believe. And I didn't have Showtime, so I never saw the show. But what I did see was the the billboards and the bus advertisements and the posters on the this. I mean, it was just the marketing for it was tremendous. I just I was like, man, that show must be like huge. And I, you know, and and I was a fan of the movie, so I was like, yeah, it's got to be a great show. Um, when I had the opportunity to, to to go on to the show and and play the role of Jonas Quinn, um, I, I hadn't, again, I hadn't seen much of, of what the series was about. So I was kind of walking blind into it, season five, hoping for the best, really. Uh, so fortunately, the season five episode I was introduced into worked out well. They, they all seemed to to like me and we got along and it was a good working situation. And, and they brought the character back on uh, to replace uh, Daniel Jackson when Michael Shanks decided to, to leave the show for a time. Um, but, uh, but the, you know, it wasn't until I got on the show. Then I, then I asked the producer, I was like, I really need to, as the character, I need to understand what this whole universe is what this whole world is. I mean, they actually had, they actually had uh, these booklets that, that would explain a lot of that stuff to you uh, for the actors. And everything. were they like literally labeled? Like, did they label the planet and be like, Oh, this planet does this or. Yeah. Yeah. It was similar to that. There was like, you know, you know, kind of ed- little educational booklets to kind of fill you in. If you're like, what the, <laughs> you know, uh, but anyway, they, so um, I ended up going back and starting with season, you know, first season, first episode, season one, and uh, and ended up watching all five seasons of the show within like a week and a half. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just it was all I could do was just put that next episode in, put it in. I was just like, "What? I'm on this show? This is crazy!" <laughs> you know, and uh, that was really exciting. They, you know, again, my, my father being a production designer, I'm all, I'm always very keen on, on production design and what's going on around me artistically on, on the set in different departments. And, uh, and the production design on that, on that show was absolutely out of this world. It was next level. It was, it was the biggest feature film production out there level production design. And, mm. uh, so working on those sets was extremely fun. It was very easy to believe in the world. Uh, they they actually used the green screen and 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 all of the all the painting of the of the special effects. They used it very um, sparsely. I think that they 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 picked their battles wisely. They could have. There's so much more that they built that they could have just done partial sets for and painted the rest in and this that 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 they they took the time out to actually build entire you know entire sets it was great um uh, the 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 work schedule on it was pretty loose but as far as like stories from it i'd say that that for me one of the coolest experiences when 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 we had um I, it was season 7 um what episode was it 
redemption i think redemption waters we're on a spaceship it's sunk down in the bottom of the ocean it starts flooding and i have to you know swim um i gotta i gotta i gotta you know swim through a section of the of this this completely submerged uh spaceship and ring out into a safe part of the spaceship where it's not flooded yet and uh they, they built this entire section of the spaceship in this giant wave pool where they where they build models of ships and and they okay. test uh uh you know to test how they how they fare under storm conditions and they they had gigantic hydraulics these that they put in the pool that that could raise and lower i don't know if those those these were already in the pool or they somehow put them in the pool I don't have a clue, but these, these hydraulic lifts are big enough to lift a boat. You know, they're huge. Hmm. And they built the entire set on these hydraulic lifts, a big, a big section of the spaceship. So uh, it, it, it was missing its fourth wall. So they, 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 if you're watching it, they never, you never look back the other way from the actors. You're always looking one direction on them uh, pretty much this way or this way or that way, but you're never looking that the other way. And if you're all looking the other way, it's looking, from over here, raking the side of that wall before you see that there's nothing there because for safety reasons, you know, where that, where the roof ended, you needed really quick access to, to, to get out, out of there. If something were to go wrong or if you needed breath or if you panicked and then they had some divers in there that were kind of off camera, mm-hmm. uh, keep an eye on things. But, uh, but the, you know, so, so the way that, that it looks on camera, it looks like the spaceship is rapidly filling up with water but in reality, this entire set is lowering down <laughs> angle into cool. a huge pool. And the water is just, you know, going up as it's lowering down. So it creates the optical illusion that it's filling up. Uh, and then uh, then I ended up, oddly enough, my entire life, I was one of those kids who was always like up for the challenge of the, how many times can you swim back across <laughs> the pool and hold your breath? Did you and do it? I, I, and I, well, I was notoriously the one who was winning those all the time. And I, I, I kind of would have this, you know, get, get that, get that technique of, uh, I think there was, I, I, if I, if I remember correctly, it was a movie that was, uh, uh, I forget the name of it, but it was a movie that my mom took me and my sister to see when we were kids. That was about, uh, this French dude who was the deepest diver, free diver in, uh, you know, in the world at the time. And, uh, it was based on a true story and this guy would hyperventilate himself and overcharge his body with, you know, his blood system with, with oxygen, which would, and then take one last deep breath in order to be able to, to, and then, you know, then, then, then you have a lot more, you know, oxygen in your system to be able to use. So I ended up, um, uh, during during the scene, I held my breath for a minute and forty eight seconds. Nice, which, oh, wow. uh, which was pretty long. And uh, uh, before I had to re- go and do the ring out scenario, and I I, w- I could have held my breath a, a bit longer. I do believe probably another twenty thirty seconds longer uh, w- without panicking too bad. But uh, but they ended up having to, you know, they shot the whole thing. They had two cameras under there. They shoot this whole thing. And when they got in and they edited it all together, it was too long. 
<laughs> <laughs> Sequence down. They're like, dude, this is a minute and 48 seconds. We can't see their watch. This guy's swimming around underwater for a minute and 48 seconds. We've got to show it. You know, story to tell here. So uh, instead of normally they have to edit those scen
whew, that was a rougher ride than I was than I thought it was going to be, but right. um, in a good way. And mm-hmm. uh, and then and then David Lipper brought me back on for another film that he that he shot uh, that we shot um, the beginning of this year called Place of Bones, where I'm starring opposite Heather Graham and Tom Hopper. Uh, oh, that cool. and uh, um, Cowboy Cerrone is in it as well. Who's he's a famous MMA dude and actor. Uh, and I think he trains and does all kinds of stuff. Probably an influencer, as all, as just so many become these days. I'll never be an influencer. I can promise you that. <laughs> Not a social one. Uh, but uh, great cast. Uh, Audrey Cummings directed it. Wonderful director. The cinematographer uh, who, who who did most of um um. Why is his name slipping my mind right now? Good lord. Oh, he shot uh, Quentin Tarantino's, most of Quentin Tarantino's films. Okay. A lot of them. And uh, fantastic cinematographer. Him mixed with, with Audrey Cummings uh, directing and, uh, and, and, a, and a really fantastic, phenomenally written script. This is going to be, it, it should be a game changer in my career. You know, uh, it should, it should do some really great things for it as much as, 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 say you know stargate has done for me in the past or or parker lewis did for me or the miniseries i know my first name is steven did for me with the emmy nomination and uh and then and or you know the miniseries the stand the stephen king miniseries playing harold louder that, yeah that really opened my career up uh because it was the first time that i was given the opportunity to play a smarmy weird you know uh character you know something that a character actor would normally play not you know the guy who normally who who is usually cast as the letterman jacket you know Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. head of the class type of character so that so after i did the stand with stephen king's the stand i i got an opportunity to play a lot of different types of roles uh darker characters uh including um in uh ted bundy american icon playing ted bundy right in in, uh chicago massacre playing richard speck neither of them are uh should be looked up to uh as individuals but as an actor it's challenging to, to bring those personalities to life uh but uh but i would never have had the chance to do either of those roles or many other darker characters that i did probably including the character on supernatural had I not oh, done yeah, yeah. the stand uh, in, earlier on. Very cool. All right, Corin, we're at a spot in our show where we like to wrap things up with a silly question. All righty. So not that any of our other questions haven't been silly, but this is the silliest one. And you can answer it as serious or as silly as you see fit. Perfect. So now I've asked this question of a few other guests and I have loved the responses that we've got because it's it's kind of a, you know, uh, per your, your appetite type thing and how you, you know, how you ingest this, this form of entertainment. So I'm curious of your answer. If you had to pick a song to be your entrance theme music, if you were in the WWE or the UFC, what would your song be? Oh, uh, that's, that's, that's easy. That's very, very, very easy. Very easy. Uh, da, 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 da. I don't oh, know I love 
Superman or not, but it would definitely be the theme to Superman. <laughs> the visual sold it more than anything. So <laughs> Thank I, you. Uh, I lost it after the first duh, uh, and I saw the hands coming out. And I knew what was coming. So, uh, but yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> that was really good. <laughs> Uh, come uh, back, come it. back for more, my friends. I can do the elevator later on. <laughs> <laughs> He'll be all week here, all week. Tip the waitress. <laughs> uh, well, Corin, thank you so much for being on our show today. You if you, uh, yeah, if you, if you want to find out any more of my antics, uh, you can, you can find me uh, uh, on the letter I, the letter M, and my name, Corin Nemec. I'm Corin Nemec uh, on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, on uh, Rumble. On, I don't do anything on Rumble anyway, except watch your stuff. But uh, uh, but on YouTube, uh, I have Cornemic TV. Uh, there's some stuff there, uh, some content of mine that I've developed. There's there's Blackwater Blues as well, which is I, I really meant to talk about. I can't believe I didn't. But, uh, but that's an independently uh, produced uh, uh, TV pilot that I created with Jason London that I wrote. And uh, Steve Wise directed it. It's been getting tons of uh, of wins at, at film festivals in the short film category, as well as in the independently financed TV pilot category. So Blackwater Blues, you can find on my YouTube as well uh, and check that out. It's it's great. It's well worth the watch. Got some wonderful performances in it. So you can find me in all those Facebook. Uh, I think it's I am Corn Nimic on that, too. And uh, uh, watch out for the fake me's. There's some fake me's out there. They're not me. Fake, <laughs> stupid, dumb, stupid, fake use. Yeah, well, now that I now that I don't have a blue check on Twitter anymore, you won't even know who the real me is. Because sometimes <laughs> I don't know who the real me is because I keep playing all these different characters. I get lost <laughs> myself. I try to log into Twitter. I don't know which core number I should log into. <laughs> Love it. Well, thanks, Corn. We will yeah. make sure that we put those links in our show notes so that our listeners can go check them out. Sweet. All right, guys, I want to remind you that subscribing is the single most important thing you can do to help our show continue to grow and get more amazing guests like the man who can fly like Superman, Corin Nemec here, and have other funny moments for you to be able to listen to. So please subscribe. It helps out well more than we can ever really tell you. And go check out Corin's work. He's got some cool stuff coming up, and you guys aren't going to want to miss that. And we'll make sure that you click those links down in the show notes below. But if for whatever reason you are not happy with the content of our show today... <laughs> Please feel free to lodge a complaint with the head of our complaint department. That, of course, is Parker Lewis. Look, Parker isn't going to handle the complaints personally. That's what he has Mikey and Jerry for. And right. let's be honest, that's what Mikey has Jerry for. After all, Jerry was just a freshman. So submit your complaint forms in triplicate because uh, they might get lost in transfer from Parker to Mikey to Jerry. And if somehow they get to Principal Mouse or Mousolini, uh, just know that she will do whatever she can to bring each and every one of us down. And Parker will always be in the clear because after all, he can't lose. So be kind and know that podcasting is an art form. We're just bad artists. Uh, love it. Love it. Well, thanks again, Gorn. Hey, thanks, thank Gorn. you guys. All right, guys, that's going to wrap us up for the FSF Popcast. Goodbye. <laughs> on behalf of the rest of the hosts of the FSF Popcast, we want to thank you for listening to this episode. If you'd like to be a guest on a future episode, please contact us by means of Twitter or Instagram using the handle at FSF Popcast or go to www.fsfpopcast.com and click on the contact me link. Thanks again and hope you enjoyed the episode. Copyright 2023 FSF Popcast. 
Reference to any specific product or entity mentioned on this podcast does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by FSF Podcast. The views expressed by the guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. If you have any questions about this disclaimer, please contact us via email at info at fsfpodcast.com. Original music by Jordan Michaels.